mission. Our mission here at Cross Point Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want everybody, everybody to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord and live their life for Him. We're going to continue, number two, in our series, and I've been calling this series, Thou Shalt, the Ten Commandments. The shout part, that's a little nod to the King Jimmy version of the Bible. Uh, but if you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 4, 5, and 6 this morning. A sermon I'm entitled, Have No Idols. In case you didn't know this, hopefully you know this, but we have a bit of an idolatry problem in this country. It's not really this country, it's really a worldwide phenomenon, and this isn't a new issue. This issue is as old as time itself. And when I say this word idol, what we typically think of in our culture, we think of a little statue that someone carves out of wood, or maybe it's molten gold or silver, and it's something that somebody puts on a table or a niche in the wall, and they bow down to it and worship it. And people do that because they believe that the God that they worship inhabits that idol. Now, we need to realize that this Idolatry issue is not only limited to that. Uh, we, we have all sorts of idols that we worship in our life. In fact, we even have a hit TV show to it called American Idol, right? Kind of dating myself with even that illustration. But here's the big idea. Everyone worships. Everyone worships and everyone worships all the time because Buddhists worship, Hindus worship. Christians worship, even atheists, atheists worships, people who are breathing in oxygen and expelling carbon dioxide, those are the ones who are worshiping. We're all worshipers, every single one of us, everyone who is living is worshiping and we are pouring ourselves out to someone or something, okay? The reason why we do that, because that's what we're made to do. We're only doing exactly what we're made to do. That's what we always do. The only difference is, who do we worship? What do we worship? So the question is not, do you worship? Because the answer to that is yes. But the question is, is our worship directed towards God? Is it directed towards God? Or is it worshiping something else other than God? And when we do that, that is what idolatry is. And before we jump into idolatry in other cultures, let's stick to our culture, okay, in our today's age. What if we jumped into the DeLorean, fired it up to 88 miles an hour, and went back in time, I'm aging myself again with that reference, but we time travel, went back 3,000 years or so, grab an Old Testament Jew, bring him back to our time now. Okay, let's say it's a Saturday afternoon, and we take him down to Laramie, we're going to take him to War Memorial Stadium. And he's going to see people with yellow and brown painted on their faces, yelling and screaming at 11 guys with similar colored jerseys on, and we're, they're all fighting over a little piece of inflated leather on a 100-yard fi- football field, right? That would seem weird to that guy. But not only that, before that, we've spent several hours in the parking lot cooking up different meat products on the tailgate of a truck and drinking different grain-fermented alcohols. And that's what we've done to prepare for this yelling system. So, and so I always kind of get down on, on one person. We're, I'm on an equal opportunity offender today. So if, if somebody's thinking, well, that's the guys. What about the girls? Okay, girls, your turn. Here's a God that we can turn to, and it will perform on demand. 
This little God that we have here in our hands, you can go to these different websites and you can get anything your little heart desires. Not only that, this God, resp- this idol responds, right? You can have whatever you order in three to five business days delivered to your front doorstep. Not only that, there's apps you can go to and you can see exactly what you look like before you purchase this, this item from this idol. Or, you know, not only a dress or maybe a hat or glasses or makeup, otherwise known as war paint like the guys had at the football game, but it's all the same thing, right? It's all idolatry. But... Again, at least this idol performs on command. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of this thing. Some in this room are feeling pretty good right now, saying, I don't worship either one of those two. Well, how about this? Is there one person or maybe one political party that you're guilty of worshiping as your functional savior? Typically what happens is, you know, we we talk about this issue 24-7 and then it all culminates every four years when we put somebody up in this one big event called an election. And we're doing this for our, as our functional savior. And we cheer for them and we vote for them and this can all be an act of idolatry. But here's what's really interesting about idols. Doesn't matter what the idol is, this is true across all idols. All idols lie. Did you know that all idols lie? Because all idols make promises that they can't deliver on. There are people that will look at a bottle of fermented wine or grapes, and they they think of that idol, they'll think, if I drink this, I'll be free. And it's a lie. It's all a lie. We all worship someone or something. And sometimes we worship individuals. There's these in, these individuals called influencers on social media and we'll, we'll follow them and we'll listen to them and if they're selling anything, we'll go ahead and buy it because they're our idol. Because we all have idols. So what does God have to say with this issue of idolatry? Well, he says this in the context of Exodus chapter 20. God has already called people that, that were, ha- had no God. He called them to be his own God. And he freed them from slavery. And he brought them out of the slavery of Egypt. And he, he's called them to a family meeting. Because the family of God are not acting real godly. They're committed adultery. And they're lying. And they're stealing. And so what God does is he essentially calls a family meeting. And so God is going to talk to his people. And he talks to his people through a man named Moses. And through Moses he gives the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, no other gods. You shall have no other gods. And that is the most important uh, commandment. And the second commandment is, is to have no idols. So the first and most important thing is we are to have no other gods. And how we worship that God is very important. With that, let's read Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. It says, you shall not make yourself a carved image. Or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. Okay? So the first two commandments are the most important commandments. That's why they come first, right? This is really going to set the foundation for the rest, the other eight commandments to go, and really the entirety of Scripture. Okay? Who we worship and how we worship are exceedingly important. Okay? It's not just enough to have the right God. We need to have the right God, but we have to have the right God and worship Him in the right way. 
Because if you don't do this, you can have Jesus as your Savior and at the same time be acting and living like the pagans, committing adultery and still living in the slavery of sin. So it's about having the right God and worshiping Him in the right way. So here's what God is saying in Exodus 20, verse 4. He's saying, don't worship anything up there. Don't worship anything over here on the earth. Don't worship anything under there. Don't do any of that. Idolatry is what we do when we try to bring God near to us. Okay, It's finding someone or something that acts like a mediator to get us closer to or at least feel closer to. Oh, Pastor John's talking about his feelings, but that's what we do, okay? It makes me feel closer to God, so then it must get me to God. So in doing so, this is what we do. We open up the door to Satan and the demons because Satan is very much willing to give us a counterfeit God, okay? He will do that in any form he needs to. So here's what's happening. If you're buying, Satan's selling, whatever the case may be. And so here God says there's one God. Worship me. Worship me alone and don't think anything or anyone is going to get you closer to me. There are two reasons, theologically speaking, why we don't worship created things. And when I say worship, I mean, this is what I want you to think about. Think about where your time goes. Think about where your talent goes. Think about where your money goes. Think about what you pour yourself into Two reasons we don't worship idols. Number one reason, we are made in the image of God. We, men and women, we are made in the image of God. And so we don't worship idols because we are the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, God is spirit, and so he made men and women to reflect his own image. That's what worship is. Worship is reflecting the goodness of the God of the Bible. And so how it works out when we love, when we forgive, when we do unto others and expect nothing in return, that is a form of worship because we're reflecting the character of God. And God made us, and that's what worship is. And some of you are thinking, well, I thought worship is when we sing songs. Worship is the first 15 minutes of the this, this service where we all stand and there's music uh, lyrics up on the screen and we all sing. That is worship, but that is not limiting. That, to, that That's all worship is. It is so much bigger than that. Okay? So when God says, don't get an image, he's saying, be the image that worships me. The number two reason, the second reason that we don't worship idols is Jesus is the image of God. Since we don't worship idols, we are made in the image of God, then what is the object of our worship? Who or what are we to reflect? Where do we go? Well, the answer is supposed to be Jesus. You know how in church the answer is always Jesus? Well, this is very true here. The answer is Jesus. We don't worship an image, but rather we worship Jesus who is the image of God. Read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says this, he, and when it says he, that pronoun, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
Side note, that, that, that phrase, firstborn over all creation, it's the Greek word protokios. We don't have an English word, so we kind of have to come up with this run-on sentence to kind of say what that means. And what it means is the best, the greatest, the above all else. That's what Jesus is. The second commandment is don't make an image. And then God says you are made in the image of God. The image of God is perfectly reflected in Jesus Christ. That's why when Jesus comes onto the scene, he can say wild things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can Jesus say that? Well, he can say that because God can't be seen any more clearly than he's seen in Jesus. We don't look to created things. Look to Jesus. Someone has said, if you want to see what God is really like, you only have to look to Jesus because Jesus is God. So what we do is we don't look to nature. We don't look to animals. We don't look to people because if you want to see what Jesus, or excuse me, look, what God looks like, look to Jesus. There is a God. God became a man. His name is Jesus. He's the one that went to cross for sinners. And the Greek word there, the, the word image, it's the Greek word icon. You know what that is in English? It means icon. <laughs> Jesus is it. If you want to see what God looks like, look to Jesus. And so we are not to worship created things. We are to worship the creator. And Jesus is the creator. See Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. All things were made by him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. You are made by Jesus, for Jesus. And so then we don't seek images. We are to be God's image bearers, and we are to reflect the perfect worship of Jesus, who is the image of God, perfectly revealed. Now we have to... Kind of keep, let's keep it close to home here. It's so we, we could take this message this Sunday a thousand different ways. But the Christian church can turn pagan real quick. And if you don't think it can, just look at different statues that different churches worship. Look at different candles that are lit all to try to make God happy. Look to different people that are prayed to other than Jesus. It's all the sad, same sad song. But it's all idolatry at its core. But before we start bashing the Hindus, before we start bashing the Catholics or the Buddhists, let's keep it on us. Let's keep it to the Christian church. Even good old Baptists can do the same exact thing. Because if there's a piano or if there's an organ and you feel like that brought you closer to God, and then if that thing is removed, if you have a full-blown come apart, that's an idol. Okay, if there's a stained glass window, if there's a communion table, if there's pews, oh, and if that thing's removed, you will lose your mind. Guess what? Idol. What if there's a ministry program? How about a style of worship? I could stand here all day and name things that Baptists are, are, are guilty of putting in place of God. How about the Baptist potluck? Hold on, pastor. Now you're not preaching, you're meddling, right? I like fried chicken, love it, okay? I'm a thigh man, I love fried chicken. But we're not to worship that, okay? It is so very easy for us to confuse between the worship of the creator and the worship of the created. Read Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurities, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Idolatry is what happens when we worship anything other than God. How about money? How about sex? How about fame or glory or power or prestige? It is so very easy to worship that other than the creator. It's a very common practice. It's called pantheism. And pantheism, where there's many gods, and you're free to choose one or as many as you want. Okay? Very common in the, in the Native American culture. Okay? It, it's all picking and choosing some other god rather than the one true god. How about this from the radical environmentalists? They'll th- say things like, we worship Mother Earth. It's not worship of the Father God, right? It is so very common. How about this? You ever heard somebody say, well, I just feel closer to God when I'm in, up in nature. As if God created the mountains and the trees and the air, but then he didn't create the city. Listen, God made concrete. God made rebar. He also made the knowledge that it takes to put it all together. But the deal is, we get used to living in the cities. And, and so then we think somehow it's different. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't go camping. I love camping. My wife, not so much. She prefers a flushing toilet and a shower, regular old shower. But here's the deal. God made it all. It's all God's. And, and, and so we are to never worship anything other than him. Number two on God's top ten list, no idols. Are you ready for the most common thing we worship? Are you ready for the number one thing that we worship other than God? Number one thing we worship other than God, here it is. It's ourselves. It's ourselves. It's the worship of the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. That's who we worship. The worship of me is so common that we really don't even see it anymore. And don't think it can't happen in the church. Wouldn't we have such a tight grip on something, and by something I mean something other than the word of God and the gospel message, it can very quickly become an idol in our life. We here at Crosspoint, we are a Bible-centered church, but it is so easy for a church just to drift into idolatry. only takes about a generation for it to happen. And when it happens, all of a sudden what happens is the preaching of God gets set off to the side. And we'll get to that sometime later, right? It is so easy to become a pagan church. How about this one? The, the order of service to, it becomes an idol to the church member because what happens is we have to start with the greeting and then we have to go to the singing and then this guy stands up and says some things about the Bible and then we all say something and close. That can become an idol, and because what happens like after that, after the Bible is put, put to the side, then all sorts of practices come in. What happens is we recite some verse. Hey, what's that verse mean? I don't know. I think it comes from second hesitations. What's it mean? No, have, don't have a clue, but we say it every week. And then the next thing you know is, hey, we're not even going to open the Bible. But what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to just get in a big circle and we're going to have different guys or gals come in. They're going to paint, paint on these canvases and then we're going to talk about our feelings. How'd that make us feel? And then the week after that, it's going to be, hey, everyone bring in your yoga mats, and we're going to twist ourselves into different positions. One's called downward dog. And then I'm going to ring some chimes, and it's just going to be awesome. And some of you are sitting there, you're thinking, Pastor, that will never happen. 
hold on, be very careful. We have to be very careful that the slightest bit of idolatry doesn't creep in because it won't be too long before you can't tell the difference between the Baptist church and the Hindu temple. It can happen to us. I was talking to a, a good friend of mine a couple weeks ago. I had to go to California for a, uh, for a funeral. And I was talking to him and I said, I can't imagine going to a church that doesn't open their Bible and preach the Bible. I said, if you're not preaching the Bible, then what are you doing? He said, hold on, John. And he kind of scolded me, I'll say rightfully so. He said, do you forget how common this is? You see, he, he grew up in a, going to a Catholic church, and that's all he knew his whole life. And then one day, he and his wife, they moved to a new town, and they said, hey, let's go to this other church. And they went to a church. You know what the pastor did? This is crazy. He opened the Bible, and he read from the Bible, and then he explained the Bible, and they were talking about the Bible, but I'm not even getting to the wildest part yet. Then they actually applied the Bible. Do you know most churches don't do that? Maybe even if you do read the Bible, you read it, you talk about it, but then they fail to apply it. And that's really the most important part. It's applying the Word of God to our lives. And when I say our lives, I mean our lives and not somebody else's lives. How many times have you been in a church, be honest, I know this is you, you know why? Because I used to be sitting out there too and I did the same thing, where a preacher preaches the Word and you think, oh man, I wish old so-and-so was here. This message is all for so-and-so. Eh, no, it's not. It's for you. You're the one that that message is for. Okay? So before we go and try to apply the Word of God to someone else's life, we need to first apply it to our life. Back to the sin of idolatry. Anytime a church begins to drift away from the preaching of God's, words, God's Word, it's, preached, it's drifting towards idolatry. And that's a violation of the second commandment. Go to verse number 5. God says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. And some of you are thinking, well, I worship Jesus. Okay, hold on to your hats. Let's closely scrutinize that worship in Jesus. Let's examine that worship to make sure that Jesus is the recipient of your worship. Because here, God is saying two things. Bow down. That's talking about submission. And serve them. It's talking about service. So let me ask it this way. Let me kind of change this. Who has authority in your life? Who or what has authority in your life? Because if you are the ultimate authority in your life, then here's the deal. You are the God that you are worshiping. The created thing that you worship is the person that meets you every morning when you look in the mirror to brush your teeth and comb your hair. Because you are the highest authority in your life because you decide what's right and wrong. Who or, and what you submit to and who or what you, do you go to? Who, what do you serve? Again, where does your time go? Where does your money go? Where does your heart go? As an American church, it's so easy to look at some other churches and laugh and make fun of what somebody else does. And at the same time, there's nothing, no difference between our hearts and the, the typical idolater. You know why we love idols so much? Here's why. Idols indulge. Did you know idols indulge? Because an idol will let you drink all you want to drink. An idol will let you eat all that you want to eat. An idol lets you operate your life exactly how you want to because 
That's what an idol does. An idol is where you get to be in control. An idol is where you can manipulate your god or your goddess to let you act or behave in any manner your little heart desires. After all, the ultimate expression of God is just to be true to yourself. Hope you're hearing the sarcasm in my voice when I said that. Just be true to yourself because that's all that God wants. He just wants you to be you and express yourself in any and every manner your heart desires. Wrong. Wrong. I recently watched an interview with Caitlyn Jenner, and that is exactly what he said about his life. He said all God really wants him to do is be true to himself, and that's what God wants. No, that's idolatry. The heart of men and women is deceptively wicked. And when we do what our heart wants us to do, that's called sin. And we do this because we want to be in charge. We want what we want. So what we do is we create a little God that puts his false stamp of approval on the way that we want to live our lives. Really, we become a God unto ourselves. Because we create that God that says, whatever you want to do, that's okay. No, that's idolatry. When we say we are God, this God lets me do whatever I want to do, it's really a violation of the first and second commandment. Because after all, who doesn't want to be in charge? Who doesn't want to be in control? Who doesn't want to be comfortable? Oh yeah, the God of comfort, live and well in America. It is human nature. And by human nature, I mean sinful, fallen nature to have a sinful desire, and then you create some God to say, that's okay. Go ahead and do that. I've seen people leave Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, theological sound churches because someone they, they love wants to practice open homosexuality. They'll actually go to a church that all but has a sign out front that says Church of Satan because they want to do that. And they'll say, well, that church told me that's wrong, so I left. No, God said that's wrong. You know why God said that's wrong? Because that hurts you. God said that will hurt you and God loves you and he wants the very best for you. So when that church said don't do that, it's because they love you. And they want what God wants for you. He wants the very best. When our kids were little, we lived at a house on a cul-de-sac. And so our kids would be riding their bikes all the time out front. And I had a rule as their dad. Here's the rule. No riding your bikes without shoes on. You know Why? Because I knew what would happen. They're going to be on their bikes. They're going to be pedaling around. And it was only a matter of time with their little bare foot, with their toes pointing down. They're going to take a turn, and then their toes are going to touch the, the black top, and then they're going to crash, and they're going to have no skin on the top of their toes. I didn't give them that rule because I don't love them. I gave them a rule because I love them. And I don't want to see their little tiny toes with no skin on it. And I can't tell you how many times I'd pull into our neighborhood, make a right, make another right, coming right at our house, and there's four or five little Burns kids dry, riding without their shoes on. And they wonder, why does dad's head explode? Why is he yelling and screaming? Because I don't want you to hurt yourself. That's God's law for us. God didn't give us a law because he doesn't love us. God gave us a law because he loves us. And he's saying, don't do the things that will hurt you. But today we have entire holidays that are purely pagan. Somebody says, hey, it's Halloween. No, it's a night when girls dress up like street workers, all for the, on the name of October 31st. Hey, it's the 4th of July. No, it's a day you're going to get up and drink yourself into an oblivion. You can hardly wor- walk the next day. 
hey, it's St. Patrick's Day. The same thing as 4th of July, only you exchange blowing stuff up for the, the wearing of green. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have holidays. Holidays are amazing. I don't want to become a legalist and say no holidays because that's what the cults do. But we have to make sure that holiday is a holiday, not just a day where we worship the God of me. Those things that God said don't do, don't turn a holiday into the celebration of it, where we worship ourselves. And all these gods, they're really the same God because it's a simple, convenient God. It's a God that lets me be me. It's a God that never forces me to examine my heart. It's a God that never says, hey, repent to your sins, turn from your sins, and go say you're wrong and say you're sorry. See, if your God never tells you you're wrong, never tells you to go say you're sorry, then that's not the God of the Bible. I guarantee the God that you're worshiping is the God that is staring back at you when you look in the mirror. It's the God of you. So if we come to the place on a Sunday morning where I can make a turn, where I can stop beating this, this dead horse, because I don't know about you, but there's always this time when I kind of get tired. It's like, man, I need, some, I need this, this, this sermon to turn and get to the part where it, it's great, and, and how do we go from here? Because if I need to keep going down this track, hey, it's you, it's you, it's me, it's all of us, I can keep doing that. Because I can keep stepping on toes, but hopefully we're to that part. Just, just let's get to the good stuff, Pastor John. Who are the idolaters? It's all of us. It's all of us. It's you, it's me, it's the person next to you. We're just a big heap and pile of idolaters. But fortunately for us, our God, the real God, not the God we made up on our heads, the real God. He is so very quick to forgive. And he's quick to change us. He's not a God that gives you the silent treatment after you say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, forgive me. He's also a God that doesn't lie. Hey, the stuff that's harmful, he says, don't do that, it's harmful. Why does he say that? Because idolatry leads to slavery. Hey, why are people addicted why are people perverted? Why are people enslaved? It's all idolatry. Because I, idols lie. Idols promise things they can never deliver. And they enslave us. That is why the worship of God is so very, very important. Because the worship of God, it frees us. A few things. Let me, let me say just a few more things. So hopefully you can put the finger on, on, on your idolatry. Hey doc, does anybody ever come to you? And say, hey, it hurts when I do this. And then you go right there and they go, oh, yeah, don't do that. Did that ever happen? Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> I've been there. Hopefully we're going to put our finger on our own idolatry. Did you know that a good thing, a good thing can be idolatry? When I say a good thing, how about your family, your marriage, your health, your, your income? An idol can be a good thing and a good thing is a good thing until it becomes a God thing. And then becomes a really bad thing. An idol is something that keeps you up at night. Something that, 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 that gets you going in the morning. An idol can be anything. Anything that replaces Jesus as the center of your life. Right? There's some really, really good things that we have a tendency to move into the center of our life. And that's not what it's meant for. I want you to think of, of Jesus like the center of a wagon wheel and everything is supposed to spoke off of Jesus. He's the center and he connects everything else. And when we take one of those things and replace it, place Jesus with it, it becomes an idol. An idol is what you turn to instead of God. 
Now, I, I write these messages. I'm not writing them, this one to you, but when I was writing this, I had to stop at my computer and go, what's your idol, John? You're going to call all these people out. How about the one in your life? So my point is we're all in this boat together just trying to smash our idols. Look at the rest of verse 5. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities on the fathers unto the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So here's one thing. He says, I'm a jealous God. Idols will let you worship anyone or anything or everything. You know why? Because behind him is Satan. The Satan and the demons, they'll let you worship whatever you want because that enslaves us. They really don't care how it happens. But God, he's a jealous God. He doesn't share your, his worship, your worship with any other God. He, he, he loves to set people free. And there's so many, I've heard it so many times, oh, the God of the Bible, he's jealous. You need to praise God, he's a jealous God. He loves us. The love that he has for, for us is like that of a husband has for his wife. It's very exclusive. So what God doesn't say, God does not say, well, you can have me, and you can have that God or goddess over there. You can have a little religion, you have a little spirituality. No, God says this relationship is like a marriage relationship. It's like God is a groom, and his people are the bride. And idolatry, it's not like it is adultery. That's what idolatry is. Because God is a husband, and he loves his people like a husband's supposed to love a bride. Ladies, think back to your wedding day. Remember the day you've probably been planning it for weeks and months, maybe some of you years. And the day come, maybe it was in a church and, and everyone's seated. Everyone on this side was his family. This side is her family. And the music plays and you step into the room. You got your flowers. You're dressed in white. You can see your, your groom and it's perfect. And the day is going great. And you're stepping with the music, walking down the aisle. And all of a sudden, there's another gal next to you. Smiles at you. Hi. Going to marry, yeah. Does that work or not work? Does that work? Does not work, right? That does not. You're like, no way. That is not going to work. Or maybe let's do it the other way. Hey guys, remember your wedding day? You're probably standing at a place like this. I would have been the guy in the suit with the Bible, and here comes your bride, and she's just gorgeous and perfect, and this is amazing. All of a sudden, another dude steps up right here. What are you doing? We're marrying her. Work or not work. Not work, right? That does not work. But that's what idolatry is. Okay? That's what idolatry is. Did you know there's people that literally do that? And we poke fun at that. We think that's so funny. That's not funny. That's sad. Because who's hurt? The bride's hurt. You know who else is hurt? The groom is hurt. When people literally do that, when they marry multiple people, it hurts the groom, it hurts the bride. But you know who is most hurt in that situation? The kids. The kids are always the one that is the most hurt. See, there's consequences for idolatry. That God will visit the iniquities on the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation. There's some of you in this room that are like, that makes perfect sense. Because you hear the old analogy, like father, like son. Like mother, like daughter. They're a regular old chip off the old block, Right? Because you read this and you're thinking, well, why does one generation sin and then God punishes to the three and four generation? That's just not fair. But don't forget that last, he says, of those who hate me. 
What God is talking about here, it's parents that hate God, that raises kids that hate God. And then they get married to someone else that hates God, and then they have kids. And guess what they teach their kids? They teach their kids to hate God. And then they have grandkids that hates God. That's not a life of freedom, because it leads to death. And how many of you, that's, don't raise your hand, but that's been the issue in your family. Like the same stupid thing for generation after generation. Well, my dad was an alcoholic, so I'm an alcoholic. And I'm going to teach my kids to be an alcoholic. My dad was, a, was an adulterer, so I'm going to be an adulterer, and I'll teach my kids to be an adulterer. The same stupid stuff for generation after generation. That's the consequences that our kids become like us. And then our grandkids become like us, and our great-grandkids become like us. And for some people, growing old is not a joyous occasion because you see your sin magnified in your kids. And you hate it because we teach our kids to do the same stupid stuff that we did. But are you ready for some good news? Hopefully some of you are worn out like, I can't take any more of this bad news. I need good news, Pastor John. Well, good, because God gives us good news. Look at verse 6. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, it's one thing that the, the punishment can go three or four generations, but there God says, you know what? The blessing can go to thousands of generations. You know what that means? That means God's really happy to pour out his grace. God's really happy to change families. God is really happy to have your family becomes his family. And then you'll leave this legacy of faith long after you're gone. The first commandment, no other gods. The second commandment, worship only God. And this is what it looks like for some families. Grandpa met grandma and they loved each other. And they loved Jesus. And then they had kids and they taught those kids to love Jesus. That was my mom. That was my dad. And then my mom, my dad, they met each other and they loved each other and they loved Jesus and they raised kids to, to, to love Jesus. And for some of you, that's your story. If that's your story, God bless you. That's a great story. I would say that's a great, I would say that's the best story. I wish everybody had that story. That's not my story. As far as my story goes, I'm the first in the, the link, the chain of faith that love Jesus. It all starts with me, and I'm not saying that to brag on me. I'm saying that to brag on Jesus. Because he can look at some pagan idolater named John and say, I'm saving you. And then it's going to change the direction of your entire family. And I hope by the grace of God, if I'm still here 30 or 40 years from now, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll be the one that has a grandchild, maybe a great-grandchild bouncing him off my knee that's being taught about Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that deserves that, that type of worship. And some of you in this room, you came from this legacy of faith, and there's some of you that have no idea what I'm talking about. But by the grace of God, it can all begin with you. And then God gives us the church where someone that never knew that can come to a place like this and be taught what this legacy of faith looks like. So instead of being raised in a household of pagans that don't know Jesus, you can come to the house of God and learn about Jesus, and then you can have a family that loves Jesus. And you can be the first link in the chain of faith and the rest of your family to leave this legacy of faith for Jesus. Here's a, one hard truth I want to leave you with, and then the, the other side of the coin to that hard truth. It's a beautiful, amazing truth, but here's the truth. Pagan gods... They demand everything from those who worship them. 
You can't show me a pagan god that's worshipped that doesn't end up taking everything from its worshippers. Whether it be drugs or sex, sex or alcohol, in the end it, it takes everything from its worshippers. But the real God, the one true God, there is no other God. He came and he sacrificed himself so that we don't have to. The real God sacrificed himself. Jesus He's God. He came and he became, the, he became man who became the sacrifice for sinners. The amazing truth is we're sinners. So God sacrificed himself. And he did that to break the chain of slavery. That you don't have to be a slave to, the, to, the, to sin anymore. You can be free. But in order to be free, you have to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus... I would beg you right now to call on Jesus. The Bible has this most amazing um, promise in the entire world. It says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. You have to recognize you're a sinner. And Jesus is the only way. You know, I was talking to someone here recently. I think one of the big, big problems is so so many times we have this thought where people think, you know what, I'll try this Jesus thing for a while, and if it doesn't work out, I'll go try this other route. That doesn't work. That will never work. You have to come to this point where you say, Jesus is the only way. He is the only God who sacrificed. There is no plan B. And when you come to that realization, and you call out to Him, He will save you every time. It has to be this this contrite moment in your heart where you say you know what god i'm never going to be good enough but you're the only god that is good enough and you came and you died for me if you never called out to him i ask you to call out to him now say something along the lines of i'm a sinner and you're the god that loves me so much and you came and you died in my place i want to give you my life save me from my sins and i say this in your holy precious name jesus amen